Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Michaela Cuneo, a 2018 graduate from the U.S. Air Force Academy. In this episode, you'll hear all about Michaela's decision to attend an academy as a unique path towards medical school. We explore the many ups and downs she experienced while at the academy, including preparing for the MCAT, while also maintaining her regular academic and military responsibilities, as well as her transition from service academy life in the mountains of Colorado to med school at sea level in Florida. Michaela's story is a great example of how the Federal Service Academies can really set you up for any career path you choose. All you need is persistence and dedication to your goals. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Michaela. Hi, thanks for having me on. Definitely. Uh, Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? I am Michaela Cuneo. I am currently located in Gainesville, Florida, and I am a 2018 graduate from the U.S. Air Force Academy. Yeah, 2018. But you've done some pretty unique things, so I can't wait to to hear your story here. Um, But to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are right now? Yeah, so I start my third year of medical school on Monday, so in about five days here. And I'm hoping to be a surgeon in the Air Force. We'll see what the Air Force has in store for me, but I'm really just looking forward to taking care of airmen and any other patients that I might have in the future. It's exciting. I, I really I had no idea that that was even an option going into med school right out of the Air Force Academy. So I'm excited to hear how that, how that all happened. But to start, let's go back to the beginning uh, when you were deciding where to go to college. Um, what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose the United States Air Force Academy? So there's a short answer and a long answer to this. I'll start with the short answer because it's kind of funny and then get into the long answer that explains it. But I chose Air Force because it's in Colorado and I love skiing. And I know that that's kind of silly, but it really worked out well because my grandfather on my mom's side was in the Navy and he was a pilot for the Navy. So growing up, I had always heard his stories And my dad's father, my other grandfather, was in the Army, but he uh, didn't really talk about it as much, but I still knew that he served. So I have had family in the military, and I always knew that was an option growing up, but it wasn't until junior year of high school when I started looking at schools that I realized, you know, hey, I can be a doctor out of an academy. That's not something I've ever heard of before. And when I started looking into academies... You know, we grew up in Georgia and Florida, and my parents grew up in Connecticut, so we would always go skiing for spring break because it was something they did growing up, and it was something they wanted us to have the experience of. So when I found an academy that was in Colorado, it was really just kind of a perfect fit, and then we went to visit one year when we were out there and got to talk to some people and see the campus, which is just beautiful, and, you know, just driving off the academy that day, I could tell like, this is where I need to be. Mm. So you knew you wanted to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. but you also wanted to be in the military or did that just, were you going to choose the the doctor path anyway? Yeah. So I was going to choose the doctor path anyway. And, you know, like I said, my grandfathers were both in the service. So I, if I could do something related to that, you know, working at the VA or doing like volunteer physicals, during basic stuff like that, I definitely wanted to 
look into that. But it wasn't until you know junior year of high school when I found out that I could actually be a doctor in the military. So then when I started to look into that and just seeing you know, some of the procedures that they get to do and some of the, you know, high tech equipment that they get to use in the military and really just being at the forefront of a lot of research. That was something that really appealed to me. So I was really glad that, you know, I found out that I could do both because it's not something that you tend to think of the academies for. It's always like, you know, pilots or infantry or SWO for Navy, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think because in my head, I'm like, oh, how would that work? I'm assuming, did you have to defer your service afterwards to go to med school? Yeah, so it's a weird process. The scholarship that I'm on right now, Health Profession Scholarship Program, you can actually apply for as a civilian graduating from any college. So then you commission into the reserves and you serve as a reservist during medical school so that you can stay in one location and not have to move around or PCS. And then after graduation, when you go into your residency program or you're training in your specific specialty, you can do that active duty or you can do it at a civilian institution. And then once you're done with all of your training, you owe back however many years of training you received from your respective service. That's how many years you serve as a physician. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, so, so all right, so you started looking into the service academies when you were a junior, mm -hmm. and I'm assuming this was the kind of the information that you got from the Air Force Academy, was that, yes, this is possible. Is it, mm -hmm. like, is it an option that's open to anyone applying to the Air Force Academy? It is, yeah. Yeah, so it's just not like a common Like, you can path. go in, right, I think in my class there were maybe 15 of us who went to medical school out of a thousand, so... Wow. Definitely not common, but there were probably also only like 20 to 25 of us who really seriously wanted to pursue that. And then the others for some reason or another decided to pursue something else. And the 15 of us who went on and did it get to do it. Interesting. Okay. So did you um, even look at any other academies? I did not actually. I saw the locations of the other two and figured, you know, I'd rather come back to the military other way than be in West Point or Annapolis. And I, when I was applying, I didn't even really know about Merchant Marine and Coast Guard. So it didn't even occur to me to look into those two. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so you said that once you saw the Air Force Academy and once you found out that this was an option to, to do med school, that you were pretty sold that that's exactly where you wanted to go. Um, Absolutely. Did you did you apply to other schools as well? I did, yeah. So I was living in Florida at the time, so I applied to a few Florida schools, you know, in-state. And then I applied to some out-of-state schools where I have family, like living in Kansas and Connecticut. So I just applied places that kind of felt like home, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it was really more based on location than anything since they all offered pretty similar programs with the exception of the academy and they were all it was all like pre-med stuff basically yeah mm -hmm. yeah interesting um it's just it's it always fascinates me when i 
meet someone who has such clarity about what they want to do at such a young age. <laughs> um, I know my parents kept telling me, you know, it's okay if you change your mind. And I kept telling them, yeah, but I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, so, so you apply, um, mm -hmm. was it difficult for you to get in? Was there a struggle there or was it just pretty straightforward? So that was actually pretty difficult for me. I got in on my first try, but I actually got rejected first in April when that cycle of acceptances and rejections came out. So I started kind of scrambling for something else to do because it was pretty close to the deadline of when you have to notify schools by. Mm. So I started just looking to see, you know, is there some financial aid that we could find for other schools that we haven't necessarily asked about yet and just trying to figure out what the plan was going to be for the next year and then I remember in like the middle end of May just getting a call outside waiting to go take an AP test that said you know hey this is your admissions officer you might want to check the admissions portal and I was like I'm about to take an AP test and I already know what the admissions portal says. And I don't think I want to remind myself right before an AP test. So if it's okay with you, I don't think I'm going to look at it. And they said, no, you're going to want to check this. So I checked after the AP test and found out that I had gotten in, which was extremely exciting after, you know, six weeks of um, uncertainty and not really being sure what the next year was going to hold. And I think that really shaped my whole cadet experience because I knew how lucky I was to be there, mm. which is something that everyone says, you know, you know that it's a very selective school, but just knowing how close I came to not getting in made me appreciate it so much more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know you said your grandparents, your grandfathers mm -hmm. were in the army and the Navy. So there's military there. Um, yeah what was what was the general feel in your family when you wanted to first of all go to the air force but second of all just be in the military in general yeah so my parents you know talked with me and said are you sure this is what you want to do like cuz i'm the oldest child so i've always been quote unquote the responsible one so they kind of checked in to see, you know, are you only doing this because the academy is free? Because if that's why, that's not a good reason to go. Are you only doing this because you might possibly get free med school after this is all said and done? Because that's also not a reason to go. And I said, you know, no, I've been talking about this with, you know, your dad and your dad. And they, you know, just growing up, like you guys have heard their stories. You know how important service is to both of them. And hearing that growing up was just really impactful. So I want to do this because I think it's a good way to show, you know, appreciation for all the opportunities that I have and to make sure that other people are afforded those same opportunities. And after that, they realized, okay, this isn't, you know, just her doing what she thinks we want her to do. This is actually what she wants to do. Well, kudos to your parents for probing with those types of questions. Um, yeah, because I think... It is a big factor for a lot of people. Yeah, it's huge. Mm -hmm. It's huge because I worked with a lot of a, a lot of academy students, and it's like it, there's so many external factors between like, oh, my family went to the school, or it's free. It's free is a big one, and as you know, academies yeah. are not an easy place to be if you really don't want to be there. So definitely um, not. Yeah. So good. Good on them for probing that way, but. 
But mm-hmm. so it sounds like you were really drawn to service, like the idea of service from your grandparents. Mm-hmm. Is that, that yeah. was the goal to serve? Yeah. And I think too, just knowing that I've wanted to go into medicine for so long, it's really service in a different way. So I think it was nice that I was able to, you know, pair those two services together. Yeah, definitely. Because it's just something that I think really central to who I am. So being able to just serve as much as possible, I guess, is really important to me. So I'm curious, when you were applying, um, and I know you wanted to do medicine, but were you even more specific than that? Like, did you know exactly what you wanted to do in medicine at that time? Or did that come later on? Um, I've known that I've wanted to be a surgeon, I think, since the very beginning. And at the beginning of, you know, high school, I said I wanted to be a neurosurgeon because I just thought that, you know, that's the most impact that at the time I thought you could have as a doctor was literally bringing someone back from, you know, debilitating injuries and sickness to the point where they can fully live their life again. And as I've gone through medical school and been exposed to more aspects of medicine, I think I've started to broaden the scope a little bit now, now that I have kind of seen, okay, well, you don't have to be, you know, a neurosurgeon to change a patient's life, but that's still definitely in the mix though. I think surgery is going to win out in some way, shape or form. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'm definitely uh, excited to see where your journey takes you, but Okay, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's go back for oh, a minute. Yeah. Okay, so, okay. Let's dive a little bit into your time at the Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? Travel. That's an interesting one. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, so, I'm sure there's some experiences you're thinking of when you say that. Um, Definitely. Let's, let's dive into those a little bit. Sure. So I was in the drum and bugle corps all four years at the academy. Uh, I played bassoon and saxophone in high school. And then when I got there, they had no woodwinds. So I had to learn baritone, which was so much easier than bassoon. Like it was unbelievable. (laughs) But I learned and it's basically like the marching band of the academy. So we got to go to all the away football games. We got to go perform in Aspen. They have like a winter fest there that we would get to go to. And, you know, every weekend, if not more frequently than that duly year and beyond, we were going to, you know, West Point, Annapolis, Utah, all the different Mountain West schools to, you know, just cheer on the football team and be their support. So it was really fun. And I think it shaped my time management skills a lot because you have to be ahead of your work if you're not going to be at the academy mm. for you know four weekends out of a month but yeah. it was so much fun and it gave me some of the best friends I think I've ever had so that sounds like it was a huge highlight for you while you were there for sure yeah yeah mm-hmm. um let's go back for a second when you got to the academy you know how was that first summer how was you know, I don't know, you don't call it basic training, right? We call it basic, we call it beast, people call it a lot of different things. Yeah. So that first summer, how did how did things go when you got to the academy? Uh, so coming from sea level to 7,258 feet above sea level is extremely challenging. 
And I think the worst part for me was I ran cross country in high school. And on day two, they made us do the mile and a half fitness test around the terrazzo in the middle of the academy. So just crossing the finish line and seeing a time that I should have been able to run two miles in was really disheartening. And just the physical aspect of being expected to perform when you're in those conditions was really tough. And looking back, I know that they didn't actually expect us to be able to do half the things they asked us to do. But, you know, you're there and it's your first impression on the academy and it's their first impression of you. So you want to be able to do everything. Mm. And for a lot of us in high school, you know, we could do everything and we were the athletic one or the smart one or both usually. So it was kind of a culture shock to realize, you know, okay, I can't do everything that I want to do. And I'm going to have to one, get better and two, learn to be okay with the fact that, you know, I am going to fail this summer, which was a very new feeling for me. But I was able to talk it through with some of my squad mates from my basic squad. And, you know, it was nice because they were pretty open about having the same feelings. And I remember my roommates and I would just like sit up in our room after taps and lights out and just kind of talk about like, man, today was really rough. Today was awful. And I would say, oh, you know, thank God. I thought I was the only one. Like you guys both seemed fine. So it was. It was good and bad, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you bonded with your, with your classmates or your company mates or whatever yeah, during that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, well, but you got through, right? And then, yes. <laughs> and then academics started. How did that go for you? Uh, academics, the first semester, were pretty okay. I knew that it was going to be hard, but I had validated a couple classes from AP credits. So I was able to kind of have not a lighter load, but, you know, classes that I was more interested in, which as a lead doesn't really happen since there is such a broad core curriculum at the academies. But I think that really helped being able to take some pre-med classes my first semester there. But then my second semester, Julie year, I got a concussion in like the second week of spring semester. So that kind of brought everything to a screeching halt. And for the first time in my life, I was, you know, failing quizzes and not being able to turn things in on time. But I had some really good professors who worked with me and said, you know, we know that this is not your normal, just do what you can. Hmm. And we'll work on the back end of the semester to kind of make some things up for you. So is there a story there with that concussion? Uh, Yes, it was actually a skiing accident in Aspen Hmm. on one of our DNB trips. And it was like very poor visibility, whiteout conditions. And I'm a pretty good skier, so I didn't, you know, really ski cautiously that day, even though I definitely should have. And I just ended up going off like kind of a lip on the edge of one of the trails, not realizing that it was as big of a drop off as it was. And I don't know if you've ever watched the ski jumping in the Olympics. That's what it felt like. I'm sure it did not look as graceful Mm -hmm. as that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, And then when you hit 
snow going fast, it's not as soft as you think it would be. Uh, uh, I can't even imagine. So, so you got a concussion and you said, yeah. it, you said everything came to a screeching halt. Like, what do you mean by that? Uh, so part of the treatment for that was, you know, the first two days after I got back and they diagnosed it and said, you know, okay, you have a concussion. This is going to be how we're going to kind of rehabilitate that. The first two days after that initial doctor's appointment, I was just in my room, lights out, minimal noise. And it was, you know, two weeks into the semester. So everyone else is meeting the people they're in class with and figuring out groups for group projects. And I wasn't there for any of that. So that was tough. And then also just having teachers and instructors say, who's this cadet who already, you know, isn't coming to class? What's that about? Yeah. Yeah. Did you get labeled in any certain way because you were missing class other than by the teachers? Like were your classmates understanding? My classmates were pretty understanding. I would say it was more the upperclassmen during training sessions because, mm. you know, a concussion is hard. It's an internal injury. Yeah. It's not like a broken leg where you can see, okay, yeah, that's why they can't do push-ups or run or anything. You know, you look fine with a concussion. Yeah. So that was hard. Just knowing that I looked like I could do everything, but if I tried, it would make it worse. Yeah. Was really difficult. And how long did that last? It took about a month and a half to fully recover because towards the four week point, I started trying to push my boundaries too much and try and get back to, you know, full activity too quickly which kind of set the recovery back another two weeks. Mm. It's so tough because like you're the personality type that goes to an Academy doesn't like to feel limited in any right? way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Well, it sounds like you did make a full recovery from that though. And yes, thankfully. Got, yeah. And you got back on track, um, which mm -hmm. is good. Um, I'm curious, just going back for a second, you said that you ran cross country in high school, right? Yes. I'm curious how long it took you to adjust to the altitude because I think that's I think that's something that not a lot of people mm -hmm. that have never been to Colorado or elevation can really appreciate. I mean, it's it it impact it can really impact you. Yeah. 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 We used to joke that, you know, we would all be acclimated for working out and running, but then when you would walk up the stairs to your dorm, you would get winded. <laughs> Yeah, that elevation is no joke. Um, no. Yeah, but uh, okay. So, so when it comes to highlights at the academy, it sounds like for sure band and travel mm -hmm. are part of that. Um, it sounds like you were were you able to take mostly pre med classes? I was, yeah, and I actually I minored in Russian too because I wanted to be intentional about having something that I focused on that was non-medical. So that was also a really cool experience. Interesting. So, so what did that entail? I talked to some of the faculty advisors and they said, you know, yeah, you can minor and still go pre-med. You're just going to have to stay on top of both. So I, I took two more semesters of Russian my three-dig sophomore year and then had a three-week um, cultural and language immersion in Latvia with a group of 
12 other cadets. And then I took one more semester of my junior year and then took the DLPT, the Defense Language Proficiency Test, and got the minor. Nice. That's pretty cool. So you went to Latvia for a while. I did, yeah. It was yeah. a ton of fun. So that, that plays into your whole travel word, I'm yes. assuming. Yeah. 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 So what was that experience like? Did you have a lot of free time to explore Latvia when you were over there? We did, yeah. So we would have uh, Russian classes in the morning from, it was usually like nine to noon, and then we would all break for lunch together. And we would try to keep speaking Russian at lunch, but it was just so nice at that point to be back with people who did speak English that we kind of fell back into speaking English instead. And then we had one more hour after that. And then afternoons were mostly free. We would go into Riga in the city we were staying in, or we would have like class field trips to museums or cultural events. So it was really a great three weeks. Like we got to experience all the local food and culture and uh, we all stayed with host families. So that was really neat. They were all very nice and they would you know cook dinner for us and we would sit as a family and have a conversation and they would help us out with our russian as we were trying to talk to them so it was really overall a very very good experience and it really i think made my russian so much better which i have since lost now that i have no one to practice russian with but yeah huh so at the academy are there other languages that you can do similar things with? I believe so, because we have the strategic languages, which, if I remember correctly, were Russian, uh, Japanese, Chinese, and Arabic, and then the non-strategic languages, which were German, French, Spanish, um, Portuguese, and I'm trying to remember if there was another one. But they all had, you know, semester abroad opportunities and the three-week summer program like I did. So they were all, you know, very good about if cadets wanted to do a language immersion, they had the opportunity. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm learning a lot about the Air Force Academy that I didn't know existed, a lot of these opportunities. Everything yeah, from I know. to Russia, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. If I had known all of this when I applied, like I would have been telling everybody like hey you should go to this school too yeah <laughs> it's awesome but. yeah that's 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 great um so okay so you said so based on what you're sharing with me it mm -hmm. sounds like your highlights major highlights are obviously this trip to latvia um that sounds yeah. like a huge one um and your time with uh with the band um did you feel like you made a lot of very close connections during your time at the academy then like the people that you traveled with and we're in bandwidth and skied with. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like we all still have a group me that we keep up with and I hear from at least someone like every other day, if not every day. So you really feel like those connections were genuine. You, you really, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's really good to hear. I, I hear mixed things actually, as I'm doing these podcast episodes I, I hear a variety of things. Some people don't really feel like those connections were very genuine and other people like they're like BFFs for life. So it's, it's good to hear. Um, so, okay. Were there any other highlights or really memorable moments you wanted to share? It's more of kind of just a general thing, not really a moment, but the biology department, I was a bio major and 
the department head, all the faculty, all of the cadets who were bio majors, I think we just created a really good culture as a major. Like everyone was willing to share notes and form study groups and help each other out. And, you know, even between like the cadets who were going pre-med and the cadets who weren't, but they were just, you know, not just bio majors, but still bio majors there was never any sort of division there. And it was, you know, a really, really good department in terms of, you know, making sure the cadets have what they need and willingness to hold office hours and do extra instruction and just really try and help all of us succeed. So I think that was definitely a highlight was being in such a supportive academic environment. That's huge. I mean, that can't Mm -hmm. be understated at all. I mean, academies are you know, they're tough. Academics are tough and biology is, you know, it's a tough, tough major. So really, I'm sure that was super helpful feeling such a support, like you had such a support network. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Um, did you, you generally felt like the academics were, were okay for you? I did. Yeah. I don't want to say they were easy. I don't want to give that impression, but I always found that if I was struggling in a class, if I let the professor know early and I went in for extra instruction, you know, they, if they saw that you were putting in work, even if it wasn't your best subject, they would generally try to help you as much as they could in terms of, you know, giving you extra resources or hooking you up with cadet tutors just to make sure that you had what you needed. So it was definitely, I felt very supported and I felt like I had everything that I needed to, to you know, be where I wanted to be grade-wise. And since you knew that you wanted to be on this track towards medicine, did that make things a lot easier for you for you right from the beginning with the support? Like you kind of got put on this pretty straight track towards med school? I think it did help, yeah. But I think it was kind of a mix of me seeking out the help because I knew that I would need to have these, mm. you know, stellar grades to apply. And once teachers found out, them kind of knowing, okay, well, she's applying to med school and this is an engineering class. So if she's asking for help, even if, you know, she's not that great, I'm willing to help her because I know that in the grand scheme of things, this class isn't, you know, something that she's really going to use as a doctor, but she still needs to learn it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So did you find though, um, that I mean, it sounds like because you were so clear with what you wanted to do, you really were able to prepare yourself pretty well as you approached graduation for what the next steps were. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. It seemed very hectic going through it. But looking back, I think I did do a lot of really good setup, like you said, for graduation. Yeah. How, How does it work, actually? Did you have to apply for med school while you were going through the academy then? I did. Yeah. So that was, that's actually another um, travel experience because every med school, once you apply, if they select you for interviews, it's an on-campus in-person interviewer. It was pre-COVID. So all of us who were applying, were flying out to all these different med schools throughout fall semester. So fall of my first year was actually very hectic. I don't even remember how often I was gone, but I would be gone for football games, for interviews, for just so many different things. But they did a pretty good job of helping us out with that too. Because at that point, you're in 
you know, mostly majors or upper level courses. So the teachers can usually be a little more, more flexible with assignments and requirements. And if you told them, you know, hey, can I miss this lesson? I'm going to a med school interview. I, most of them are not going to say no to that. So, yeah. Yeah. So when, when did you find out that you got into med school? It was really cool. I actually found out uh, when we get our jobs first year, we have what's called drop night. And there's one for rated jobs if you're going uh, pilot, CISO, anything on the aviation side. And then there's one for non-rated, which, which is like your weather, personnel, finance, stuff like that. So the day that I found out that I got into UF was the same day as non-rated drop. So it was really cool. I was able to go out and celebrate with all of my friends because we all kind of got our jobs that day. Oh, that's awesome. So it worked out really well. Yeah. And, <laughs> and was that uh, UF is University of Florida, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And was that your first choice? It was after the interview going into the interview. It probably was not just because, you know, I am from Gainesville. My parents live here. Part of the reason I didn't want to go here for undergrad was because it felt a little too close to home. But after the interview and just seeing all of the great facilities they have here and meeting some of who here, it was, you know, for me, it was the best fit. So finding out that I got in here was incredibly exciting. And after the interview, it was my number one choice out of all the schools I applied to. Interesting. So it sounds like the program that the US, um, that the Air Force Academy has going into med school, it seems like it's pretty, is it pretty streamlined then? Like once you get into a med school, it's pretty much set up for you to be successful with how you got to navigate the military commitment and all that stuff? It is, yeah. We had a really good um, pre-health advisor who kind of walked us through all of the steps because you can do um, the HPSP program graduating from a civilian college mm. and it's it's different slightly you go through a recruiter uh, like a health professions recruiter and they kind of walk you through all the paperwork but since we were already at the academy we didn't necessarily need all of the med board uh, commission qualification stuff so our process was a little bit more streamlined but it seems like they did set us up really well and once we applied for the program like we all knew that if they accepted us to the program, we had a pretty decent shot of getting into a med school. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. So before we move on to that piece, because I definitely want to hear mm -hmm. more about how that was for you to transition. Well, first of all, from, you know, Colorado to Florida again, living yeah. at the level, <laughs> um, but also just like, you know, being in another school environment that isn't at an academy can be also a little eye-opening. Um, mm -hmm. But before we do that, I want to hear if there were any other lowlights at the academy, any other tough times that you had. I know you spoke to your concussion, and I, can't, I still can't even imagine what that must have been like. But um, anything else happened that you want to share? Uh, yeah. So there are kind of two other things that mm -hmm. really stand out to me as like my lowest low points at the academy. Uh, one was one of my friends from back home was in my same class at the academy. 
so we were there together and her brother just unexpectedly passed away during the fall of our three dig year of sophomore year mm. so it was hard because i was the only person there that knew him so i was kind of trying to be her support and also trying to personally grieve because i had known him and went to high school with him too so that was a really low point i remember like not eating anything for 3 days and just sleeping like 10 12 hours a day wow. and when was that that was um fall of my sophomore year oh of our sophomore year and it was <sighs> that's tough really rough yeah it's just but so i had i had some good leadership at that time though and they noticed and reached out to me and said you know hey like we can't even imagine what you're going through right now if you need anything just let us know and it was it was genuine you know like sometimes people say that but you know that it's they're just saying it because that's what you're supposed to say but i could tell that they really did truly care and want to help mm. yeah yeah that's that's tough because like when you're grieving and you're at an mm -hmm. academy and it, I mean, you're trying to, everything feels so overwhelming already and yeah. then to have to grieve at the same time. I mean, it's just like with the concussion, like to have these things happen while you're there is, I feel like there's very little bandwidth for things like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, but grief, grief over the loss yeah. of someone that's tough. That's really mm -hmm. tough. Yeah. Um, and you said there was something else too that happened you wanted to share? Oh yeah, just um, leading up to the MCAT my junior year, I was not getting a ton of sleep. I would stay up until like 1, 1 in the morning studying for the MCAT after I had finished all of my homework and classwork for the next day. And, you know, I was still trying to go to the gym every day and at that point, I was an element leader, so I was also in charge of uh, three sophomores and four freshmen, and I was trying to make sure that they had everything that they needed to the point that I wouldn't even start working on my own stuff until like nine or ten at night, and it was just, I somehow managed to get everything done. I just kind of felt like I was going through the motions instead of being fully present all the time like I had been prior to that. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, honestly, that you had to take the MCAT as well. And that definitely takes some time in preparation. Mm -hmm. So, ooh, that is a lot. That is a lot. Um, how, did, how did you do when you took it? Uh, I actually, I ended up getting above my goal score, which was awesome. Like, I guess I did retain all of the stuff that I was studying at one in the morning <laughs> somehow. Yeah. But after that point, I really looked back and said, okay, that's not sustainable. I can't do that senior year. I can't do that in medical school. I have to find a better way to make things work. And I think, and I hate that it took me until first a year, but that's when I really started, you know, reaching out to other people for help and just saying, you know, hey, I have so many things to do. Can you please take care of this for me? Or can you help me with that? And that, that changed my outlook tremendously. Yeah, that's so interesting because I was going to ask you, like, what were some mm -hmm. of the key lessons 
that you that you learned at the academy and how has it helped you moving forward in in med school and with what you want to do and it sounds like i mean that's huge that's a huge lesson yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and it sounds like the people around you when you did ask for help would show up and help you yeah mm-hmm. yeah i was very lucky in that respect yeah a lot of my friends from band were not bio majors so it ended up working out that you know our academic strengths were in different areas so we were pretty good about helping each other out with classes and you know proofreading essays and papers and checking over math problems and different stuff like that so yeah. we also doubled as like a little informal study group it's interesting because i think um there's a lot of people that go to academies. Well, there's one group of people that go to an academy and they're like the star people in their class and they've never had to do academics in their life, really. They just get straight A's and they get to an academy and they're like, what is going on? Um, but then there's other people too, I mean, myself included, who, I mean, I was a really, nothing came naturally for me. Um, but But the point I'm trying to make here is that I was not used to asking for help. Like Mm -hmm. I was very much that type A, like I get straight A's, I get it done. I get everything done. I can do everything by myself. So I know that can be kind of hard to let go of and to like really ask for help. Like when you have way too much on your plate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you figured that out though. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of got to a point where I had to, you know, just really sit down and say, okay, do I want to try to do this myself or do I want to make sure that I have what I need to get into med school because I can't do both. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, that is definitely a good lesson to learn for sure. Prioritizing mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, I don't know what you're, well, we'll get into it. So in, in med yeah. school now, um, tell me like, has that, have you had to do similar things like that? Uh, similar, but not quite in the same respect. Like right now, really my only, obligation at least for the first two years was study Mm. you know there are no fitness tests while you're in med school there's no uh, commander that you have to report to if we're individual ready reserve so you don't even have to go do the once a month reservist kind of thing so that was new just kind of having that control over my own schedule yeah but I think my academy training made me want to kind of regiment it in a very academy way like I still had my gym time and my time when I would check in with friends and stuff like that but I think for sure learning to ask for help at the academy made it so much easier to you know just walk up to people here and say hey I really don't understand this disease process and it sounded in class today like you do do you mind you know teaching me what you know and I think people re- were really shocked by that because that's not the typical med student approach, but mm. it helped me. So, yeah, I bet. So, so tell me, tell me how that like first month or two was transitioning, you know, from this academy life mm-hmm. that you knew for college into the University of Florida where you know, it's more like a regular college, right? So yeah. what were some of the biggest eye-openers you had with that? I think the biggest thing, honestly, was because they record all of our lectures live, so you don't 
have to go to class. Like you don't have to physically be there. So some of my friends would wake up at noon, eat lunch, start watching lecture by one and stay up until like two in the morning, but they were still getting enough sleep and just shifted their entire day. And coming from a place, you get up at six or you get paperwork, that was very strange to me that anyone would even want to do that. Yeah. But it was definitely eye-opening to see how the know, rest- new routines and yeah. I can tell you that when I went to Columbia um, mm-hmm. for my master's after, uh, after King's Point, it was an eye-opener to see that uh, you know, you don't have to stand when the instructor walks in the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you don't have to wear a uniform. So that was yes. also strange. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I kind of miss the uniform. I don't like figuring out what to wear every day. I know. Yeah, I know. I, I hear you on that. Um, yeah. So how has med school been going for you? Um, I know you said you're in your third year. So mm-hmm. how has it been? Like, what was that transition like just academically? Was it, was it tough? Did you feel prepared? This is always a hard one to answer because, you know, material-wise, it's harder than anything that you have at an academy, but you're just so kind of used to the bulk of information that you're expected to learn that just, you know, purely from a numbers standpoint of things that I had to learn, it felt about the same. Mm. But it's kind of a different approach to learning. You're not just memorizing facts anymore. You have to Kind of figure out how all the processes fit together so you may not be able to just make flashcards for a class like you have to sit down and do a concept map and talk through it with people and also just you know the added responsibility of knowing okay i'm learning this because i'm actually going to use it to treat patients this isn't you know some abstract math problem that i probably won't remember after this semester like this is, you know, beta blockers and heart failure and things that, you know, I'm going to see in patients and family members and friends someday. So that kind of makes it a little harder, just that internal pressure of, okay, I really need to know this. Yeah. Being with your classmates now in med school, has, has anything else illuminated to, been illuminated to you as like an advantage that you have because you had this academy experience going into med school? Yeah, so I haven't started third year yet, but one of the things that they do is rounds. If you watch any of the medical TV shows, you know, Grays, Scrubs, House, when they bring all of the students and trainees in and start asking them questions and they get mad at them when they get the question wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm already so used to that from the academy that I don't think it's going to phase me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, cause I think for a lot of my classmates, that might be kind of an eye opening experience. I haven't really talked with any of them about it, but. Well, you've definitely been trained to keep it, keep it together in high. Yeah, definitely. Situations. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I never thought of that. But yeah, that definitely makes sense that that would be a, mm-hmm. a huge advantage <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I'm sure operating on very little sleep is something yes. that you're, you're used to too. Yeah. 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 But, but also, I mean, it can't be understated that self-discipline and the mm-hmm. the ability to kind of create your own sense of structure. I yeah. know, I know it can be a little envious to like, look at that 
classmate of yours and be like, oh, that person mm-hmm. just sleeps till one. And then I know, yeah. you know, but in the long run, I think you're probably at a little bit of an advantage with your ability. Yeah, to exactly. Keep things structured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. now that we're all going to be on hospital schedule, you know, getting up at six, being to clinic by seven, you know, the fact that I've already been doing that for the last two years is beneficial because I don't have to readjust my entire sleep schedule. Yeah. It would have been interesting to hear that you, if you like kind of like flipped the other way and yeah. told, like, <laughs> screw it, I'm free. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't think that's really in a lot of people's natures that go to a cat. No. So yeah. I tried it for one week. I didn't go to class and I just watched online and I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and so at, at an acad- at, um, at the Air Force Academy, mm-hmm. uh, your class size was pretty small, correct? Correct. Yeah. And so now that you're in med school, are there like these large lecture halls and stuff that you have to adjust to? Um, sort of. But like I said, since they record the lectures, it'll be this big lecture hall and maybe 20 of us in there. So it's about the same size as classes at the yeah. academy. And I would say because we have maybe 130 med students. So it's honestly about the size of the biology department. So in that sense, it feels kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. So this is interesting. So you're kind of on this little bit of a hiatus with military stuff for a minute, even Mm -hmm. though you're, even though you're instilling some of that lifestyle into your own life. Right. Um, But you're going to be at the end of all this, you're going to be going back into it, like full blown Mm -hmm. back into service. So yeah. How do you, how do you feel about that? Um, I feel conflicted about it. Because I remember we had this program called Ops Air Force in between our sophomore and junior year where we went to an Air Force base and kind of got to shadow all the different career fields and AFSCs. And someone, you know, just made the offhand comment of, oh, yeah, you know, you could go to med, but doctors aren't real officers. And I remember thinking, "Um, I'm not going to the academy to not be considered a real officer. Mm. Like, what is that supposed to mean? But now that I've kind of met some of my classmates who commissioned through the civilian HPSP program, I don't want to say that I agree with that statement, but I think there is a different culture there. I think the med group probably does consider themselves to be, you know, doctors first, airmen second. And I don't want to speak for all of them, but it seems like most people in the medical profession being in the medical profession is their central identity, not, you know, being in the military or the air force or whatever branch you're in. Like it's important, but you're there to be a doctor, not necessarily to be an officer. So I want to try and balance the two. And I think the best way I can do that theoretically is through professional development and just kind of making sure that I'm current on you know, military events, and I know the AFIs. So if someone tries to, you know, come up to me and say, oh, you probably don't know this because you're med group, I can say, well, no, I read this too. I know what the standard is. So I want to try and bring the two together somehow, but I'm not sure quite really how to do that since I haven't really been in an active duty medical facility yet. That is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, really it is because I you've given me a lot to think about actually because I I just hearing you speak 
it's, I feel like it's not a one or the other is higher. Um, right. But, but it does feel like, it does feel like, you know, your identity as a doctor and your role as a doctor, you know, and that whole oath you take of do no harm and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're choosing to do that role with a specific population and you are part of that population, which is airmen and the air force mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But if you leave the military, you're, you're, you're still a doctor. And, exactly. and even, even in the military, you would, you would perform that function regardless of who needs care in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in speaking with physicians, like, you know, the whole officer enlisted dynamic is different too. Cause yeah. you know, you could have a doctor who's a captain who medically would outrank a nurse who's a major, but in the military, the nurse would be higher. So just kind of navigating that too is difficult from what I've been able to kind of observe and hear from other people. Hmm. Well, I know you'll figure it out. I have confidence that you'll, you'll figure it out. And thank um, you. You'll, uh, you know, it sounds like you are open enough to just pay attention and come to your own conclusions about things as you, as you experience them. So, um, but that really is a, that is an interesting dilemma. Cause even when I asked the question, I was asking more from like, Oh, how do you feel about like diving back into the military life? But I didn't even, Oh yeah. I didn't even think of that whole ad. That's, it's just fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you would feel conflicted, you know, um, mm-hmm. and your service. So, okay. So you have two more years of med school, right? Is that yep. right? Okay. Two mm-hmm. more years of med school. And then that's when your service commitment will start back up. It depends on where and how you do residency, which is a whole long process that could honestly be its own podcast. Yeah. But yeah, the, the short answer is it depends. Gotcha. Okay. But once you do go back onto, uh, once you go back into that service mode, mm-hmm. it's, you have a five-year commitment or you said something with like how much time your residency takes or something, years, you, how does that work? Yeah. So your service commitment doesn't start until your training is done and residency is the last phase of your training. Ah, but okay. length of residency varies on specialty. It's longer for surgery than it is for non-surgery. And even within like internal medicine versus family medicine, it can be a little bit different. So. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, and you feel like the air force is, supporting you through this whole process like helping you every step of the way to figure out what you have to do next or yeah they've actually they've been really good about holding uh teleconferences with all the different specialty coordinators and they have a list of all the emails of the program directors out there so if you have any questions on hey what does it look like to be a cardiologist in the air force or to be a general surgeon in the Air Force, you can email them and they are usually pretty good about getting back to you with the information that you're asking for. That's good. So you feel like you're mm-hmm. pretty supported on this, on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. Um, so how do you currently feel about your decision to attend an academy? I am really proud to have gone to an academy looking back and, you know, knowing that it was going to be difficult going in, but not fully comprehending how difficult it would be. And knowing that I got through that, I feel like I can get through anything in medical training. Mm. And I just think that, you know, it, 
really shaped who I am today and kind of the values that I have and how I try to present myself. So I think it was a great experience for me. I know that not everyone feels that way. And, you know, I really wish that we could do something to improve the academies in certain respects to make it so that everyone has a good experience. But I knew going in that I was going to get as much out of the academy as I put into it. So I really did my best to look for opportunities and try and find things that I could do beyond just the typical cadet experience. So I'm really proud of how I did with that. I think that I got a lot of experiences out of the academy and I couldn't imagine my life going to a civilian school. Mm. Yeah. Do you, does it feel strange that you went to four years at the, at the, the, at the academy and then dove right into med school? Like, are you feeling good? Like, you know, like, cause it's kind of the same kind of mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like still studying and learning and growing. And- yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How does yeah. that feel? I feel, I feel good about it from like a professional standpoint. I think it was the right call for me to make because you can reapply to med school after two or three years in the air force on another job. But I knew that this was what I wanted to do. So I'm glad that I got it right out of the gate, but yeah, it has been hard at times to see my friends like all at the same bases together and hanging out and going through pilot training together and having all these military milestones that I knew I wasn't really going to have, but I didn't realize how much I would miss being sort of in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're on your own path and it's a unique path Yeah, and, and uh, you're making your own milestones, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and so, so what's next for you then? Cause you're, you still haven't, you still haven't picked your specialty. I know you said surgery. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. When does that happen? That will happen for the military. They have their specialty match in December. So that if you are trying to go to a civilian program, you have time to find out because the civilian match happens in March Mm. of the fourth year. So I could know as early as December of my fourth year, or I could find out that I've been selected to go to the civilian match, in which case I wouldn't know until March. But you apply into the specialty that you want. So it's it's kind of just like a very streamlined process of going to job interviews where you send your application to all of the programs that you're looking at and they'll call you in for an interview. And it's really the same as the med school application process all over again. You're flying all over the country, interviewing with all these different programs. And then at the end, you put together your list of this is my number one program. This is my number, you know, 15 program. These are all the ones in between. And there's a big computer that just goes through and matches every med student in the country with all of the open positions in the country. And you find out at the end of that, and you know that you're matching into the specialty, but you don't find out where you're actually going until they release the match. Gotcha. Whew, it is a journey, huh? It's, it is. Yeah, there's a lot of complicated stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of applying and studying and getting into this program and getting that. Oh, it's a lot. I know. It's I'm going to be so good at interviews by the time it's all over. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, but these are milestones for you, you know, yeah, they are. for sure. And you've been clear since the very beginning that med school was where it was at for you. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I hope you're finding time to, uh, a little bit of downtime for yourself. I mean, I know I do. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. Um, well, so do you have any uh, parting words for listeners or perhaps a key message for your fellow service academy sisters before we go? Uh, yeah. So to the rest of my service academy sisters, I know that I'm a young grad, I'm a new grad. So I want to thank you guys for really paving the way for us to go out here and do all of these crazy things that we're able to do, like go to med school out of an academy. And I just thank you for your commitment and your dedication to get through the academy when you were one of maybe 40 or 50 women in a class, because I can't even imagine what that must have been like. And to anyone younger who's listening to this, who's considering applying to an academy, it's going to be hard. And even if you want to go into something that's not traditionally thought of as a post-academy option, like med school, like grad school, you know, you name it, people are going to tell you that you can't do it. But if you want it badly enough and you set yourself up for success, you can do anything you want coming out of an academy. I love it. So true. So, so, so true. Um, good. Those are very uh, wise words from a, <sighs> thank you, from a, <laughs> from a baby, but, but you're living it. So it's good. It's good. Um, Finally, before we go, uh, just share with listeners what uh, one random fun fact about yourself. We know you like to ski, but you're in I Florida, do. so you're not skiing yes. these days. But <laughs> no, <laughs> sadly, yeah. I'll use my go-to first day of class fun fact. I play eight instruments, and they are piano, alto sax, tenor sax, bassoon, baritone, guitar, ukulele. And I know the harmonica solo from Piano Man, so I count that. Ooh, that's a good one. I love Billy Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. Aside from the fact that that's super impressive that you can play eight <laughs> instruments. Um, wow. Wow. So maybe there's a future career for you in music at some point. Maybe if this whole medicine thing doesn't work out. Yeah, you know. Hey. Hey. Sounds like you got a gift for it, so... <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, um, let listeners know where they can reach you. Yeah. So if you want to find me, contact me, my Twitter is at the underscore real underscore M Cuneo. That's M-C-U-N-E-O. And my Instagram is at M Cuneo 394. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out there. And if you're not on social media, my email is mcuneo394 at gmail.com. Perfect. And I'll put all that in the show notes. And um, yeah, it was absolutely wonderful talking to you, Michaela. I think the listeners probably, I mean, I feel like I've learned so much. I had no idea that this was even an option. So, uh, so thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, 
please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.